What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Rockcast, brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. And today we have a little bit of a different episode. I was rolling through the Rockslide forums, and I found a couple of guys that had taken really nice elk this year, and they were from out of state. Um, so I wanted to get them on, just hear the story, how they got to hunting, you know, into hunting out of state, and how they make it work with their jobs and whatnot. So this first episode is with Jake Acker. He's from Texas, and he shot a really cool bull in Montana this year, and he's been going to Montana for a little while. He'll run through that story, but I thought this was a really cool opportunity to get, you know, not that our Rockside riders aren't just normal folk, but... I wanted to get guys on that, you know, aren't on a lot of podcasts to, you know, talk about the realities of hunting out of state and doing it with when you have a job and trying to balance all of those things and just making it work. So this is Jake Acker on his Montana bull this year. Do you want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Onyx Hunt Maps for bringing this podcast through your speakers and you can use code ROCKCAST at checkout if you go to purchase a membership original price is thirty dollars for one state hundred dollars for all 50 states if you do get the all 50 state the elite membership with the discount that gets you it's 80 bucks instead of 100 so it knocks 20 dollars off and then along with that elite membership you have access to the hunting fool and some other really cool things as well as all the layers for all 50 states so again that's Code ROCKCAST at checkout from onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt, and we'll roll right into this episode. We'll just dive in. So can you give just a little bit of um, background on yourself as far as like, I know you're non, you're hunting as a non-resident um, in Montana and you're from Texas. So can you just give a little bit of that like hunting background, what states you go to and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, have drawn four Montana tags in a row. Uh, so I've been hunting there pretty heavily the last four years. Um, I have hunted in Colorado, uh, two or three times, um, hunted in Texas since I was five. Um, I killed my first deer here in Texas the day after I turned five. Uh, so it's, you know, hunting's been a huge part of my life. I, you know, people around me think I'm crazy for being as addicted to it as I, as I am, but you know, I've, I've made a choice to be a hunter and that's just kind of the way I'm taking my life. It, it, uh, you know, Montana's my favorite spot. Sounds good. So what about your just hunting out of state? When did you start doing that? Uh, so, you know, I was pretty heavy into sports as a kid, um, played through college. So I'd never really had the opportunity or the time to um, go out of state and do stuff like that. I've always wanted to, you know, I've always watched all the Primo's videos of elk hunting and thought that I would love to go do that. Um, yeah. So when I got through with college, um, I had an opportunity to drew a tag in there in Montana and uh, kind of just loaded up the truck and, and went with a cousin of mine. And, and um, we had a hunt booked, um, ended up hunting with uh, a guy out of uh, Southwest Montana there. And, um, you know, I met some great people during that hunt, had an okay hunt. Um, you know, I ended up filling my tag and, and, uh, it just, it's been, I've been hooked ever since, you know, that's all I think about is, is elk hunting, you know, mainly. And then, um, l lately I've been 
kind of hooked on mule deer and antelope as well. Nice. So what did you, uh, could you dive into this hunt a little bit that, um, sure. basically, yeah, how I got, I'll, I'll do a little intro on the, on how I got hooked up with you, just like a blind message through Rockslide. But, uh, yeah. Do you want to yeah. just dive into to the story of Montana this year? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, on that, on that first time I went on when I was 21, I met a guy named Forrest Luton. He's a, a, you know, an outfitter there in Montana and he's a really good friend, close friend now. Um, you know, I've met a lot of really good people through, through hunting and, and he's one of those guys that will do anything in the world for you. Um, so we put in, in the draw this year for a limited entry tag, uh, as a group, me and Forrest. And, uh, you know, I, I've never drawn a limited entry tag anywhere. I've hunted general just about everywhere I've ever been. And, uh, so we ended up drawing a tag and he was all excited. I didn't know, you know, I'd, I'd researched it a little bit, but he was all excited about it. Uh, thought it would be a really good hunt. And, um, so he kind of did all the legwork, uh, you know, he had some private places and stuff like that, that we could access. And then we had a bunch of private, a bunch of public. And, um, so going back, um, I was working for a, uh, hunting and hunting company here in, in San Antonio. And, um, we kind of got our dates mixed up. So I ended up having to leave my job for this hunt and, uh, it couldn't have been a better decision. I don't think it worked, you know, it worked out great. I got to spend 15 days up in Montana. And, um, so we were hunting, uh, you know, it was an archery only tag. Um, we started out in central Montana, um, had a camp set up there in glass for, I don't know, three, two or three days before the season, found some great bulls that were all on, all on private that we couldn't access and, um, ended up moving areas, you know, the first afternoon of the hunt and, uh, got down to another, another, uh, piece of private that Forrest had had access to, I guess he knew a family that ranched there. And, um, we hunted two or three days and, it just seemed like the elk were really random. You know, they would, they would talk one morning and they'd be dead quiet the next, or they'd use one side of the property. And then the next day we'd be set up there and, and they would just completely go quiet and be on the other side of the property or something like that. You know, it's, it's really hard to uh, get them pinpointed early on, but you know, we'd put on a lot of miles and, and um, finally found a big hole that they were pretty consistently using. And, um, we got back down into that hole one evening, I guess the afternoon of day two or three, we got down in that hole and we got really close. We had five bulls bugling. Uh, there must've been a hot cow. We only saw two cows in there with that afternoon that we figured there might be more, but, um, we ended up down in that hole and I got pinned down at 80 from eventually the bull that I would end up killing. And then, um, four other bulls that were just running circles around them, driving them nuts in there. It was, it was really cool to, uh, get close here and bugle all afternoon, you know, hear them vocalize, stuff like that. Ended up seeing a really good fight too, between a, uh, seven point and a, uh, you know, the, the herd bull, which I ended up killing. Um, it was pretty cool to witness that, you know, from 80 yards. It's crazy how big and, and strong those animals really are. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. That is epic to i mean maybe not so epic to leave your job but it's cool it was a good decision (laughs) yeah no you know and and that's kind of just the way that i've i've lived my life you know it's um elk hunting is 
what I love to do. I, I, I live all year long to be able to go do that. And it, you know, it was a misunderstanding, you know, with dates and stuff like that. And, you know, being the low man on the totem pole, I get all that, but, um, you know, I, I, I elk hunt. That's what I do every year. I don't want to miss a year until I can't do it anymore. And, um, you know, that's just a decision I had to make that turned out to be a great decision in the end, I think. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really happy I did it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a very kind of a s- similar story sort of. I got, when I, my first film job that I got offered, it was going to be through college. So I dropped my f- college fall classes to go do it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And look at you now. Yeah. Yeah. Never know. You never know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, yeah. go ahead. Oh no, I was just I was just gonna say keep keep diving into your story if you wanted to, but you can go ahead. Yeah, no, um so let, that afternoon we got into those those elk there in that in that big hole and we didn't know why they were using it, you know, that it's not like that property gets hunted very hard. Um they were feeding back and forth between a uh, a huge cornfield that was down in the bottom and uh, there were just a ton of elk in there coming from all the neighboring properties and stuff like that, but um, so the next day we go back in there in the morning and, um, we're hunting and kind of calling the bulls and stuff. And it's really weird. Um, you know, I've hunted four times in Southwest Montana and, and, you know, if you cow call to these elk, it seems like the cows are really possessive. You know, they, they round up the bull, it seems like, and just drive them out. And there's, there's some places in there that, that we've hunted that have some really old, you know, lead cows that are just super smart. They've heard everything. And, and I know it's not just me that, that does this. So it's not, it's not a calling issue, I don't think. But, um, you know, I've heard multiple people go in there and when they cow call these, these cows round up bulls and just run them away. It's really strange. And then, um, so back to central Montana this year, you know, we cow call and come out and we're glassing a big flat and we see two bulls running just about 800 yards away through the flat. They jump a fence and they disappear. We're just looking at each other going, do we sound that bad or are we just bad elk hunters or what's the deal here? You know, and it's, it's the fourth day of the season. It's still a little bit early. Um, you know, they're not completely fired up, I guess, but you still think that they wouldn't just bust and run on you as soon as you start cow calling to them, they don't get hunted that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really strange. That is strange. Yeah. But, that's really strange. Yeah. I don't know. And it, it, it's, it's weird because, you know, we hunted for seven or eight days and every time we would cow call, everything would go quiet that, you know, if we could, we could bugle to them and keep them talking all afternoon and stuff like that. Um, but cow calling would shut them up instantly. So we put the cow calls away and, uh, we went back to the house, you know, for lunch and, and stuff like that there on the property. And, uh, as we're eating lunch, I'm like, you know, we hadn't shot our bows in a few days. Let's go outside and shoot our bows and see what's going on. So we go do that and I'm shooting at 60 or 70 or something like that. And my last shot, my bow blows up, strings what? come off, cables release. I'm just, and I'm just heartbroken, just heartbroken. And it force looks at me and he's like, get in the truck, we're going. And, um, 
So we drive into town, try to find a spot that can fix it. We're calling everybody within a hundred miles trying to get this fixed, you know, before the afternoon hunt. And, um, you know, it's three o'clock by this point. So getting it fixed and then going hunting is probably out of the question. It, 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 I was so heartbroken. Like I, I wanted to cry so bad cause I'd been shooting, you know, lights out, you know, had my gear dialed in and then this happens and I'm, you know, we finally get in the elk to the point where we have some confidence that we're going to kill one. Mm-hmm. And then my bow explodes. It's just a gut punch. Gosh, did it, did you figure out what it was? Yeah. So on the, I guess on the RX one and maybe the RX two, there's a bolt and a nut on the bottom cam where you connect the cables to it. And I, from what I gathered at the shop, that nut had backed itself out off of that bolt to the point where that last shot was the last straw that it could take. And when I shot, the nut fell off completely and the bolt flew out of the cam and my cables just released. Whoa. Can you tell? I had no idea. Yeah. Can you see it? Like somebody with an RX one or whatever now can they yeah, look so, and see Yeah. It? So it's a, yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's a little silver, just a little silver nut or bolt there on the bottom cam. I guess it's silver. It might be black. I don't remember, but it's where the bottom cable hooks to the cam there. And it just had backed itself out. The guys at the archery shop said they had never seen it happen before, but they knew that it was, you know, possibly something to look for. And they were great. I mean, I don't know if I can throw a plug to them or not on this podcast. Oh yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah. So it's superior archery there in in, uh, Billings, Montana. Those guys took care of it. You know, they pulled the bow off the rack and and, uh, they took the piece off of that bow and, and got me fixed up. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't paper tune or anything like that. We were just trying to get back out and, and hunt, um, that evening, you know, I shot, shot at 20, 30, 40, 50. And I think I shot some at 60 and, uh, got dialed back in to where I had some confidence shooting. I didn't have much confidence with my bow at that point. I thought every shot was going to blow up again. Um, I but I just kind of had to put that in the back of my, <laughs> had to put that in the back of my head. You know, it was, um, I don't know. I, I, I still struggle shooting it right now with confidence. Um, it, it's just weird. You know, I've shot that bow since they came out and I really, really like it, but it, I feel like it let me down and it's just, you know, it's probably my fault for not checking it, but it's still, I still have a little bit of confidence issue with it, but. Oh yeah. Well, um, when, when we're it, working through it, when it blew up like that, did it like hurt you in any way? Could it have? No, it didn't. It, I mean, I don't know if it could have or not. Um, it, it honestly felt like it just, like the cables just released and my string just went limp, you know, just like mm-hmm. just the cable released and it, nothing went wacky or haywire. My arrow still went down range when I released it, didn't hit anything, but um, it just felt like, you know, it just, there was a pop or not really a pop. It was just like a, like a dull thud. And um, my, my string and cables were just, hanging off my bow and I'm just about to cry. You know, I'm like, we got to figure this out and take me somewhere. We'll, we'll find a used bow or something. Cause the hunt's not over yet. We got, we've got four days left. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. But yeah, those guys at, at superior archery there in Billings, they hooked me up big time. Uh, I can't thank them enough. And, you know, a few days later after we, we actually ended up 
killing the bull and stuff, we loaded, you know, everything up in the truck and drove back by there and, and uh, showed them the elk and they were super pumped. I tried to give them that part back so they could get it back on that bow that they took it off of, but you know, they wouldn't hear that. They were just great dudes. Continue, continue on. I hear there's a wallow involved. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so after, my, after we got my bow fixed up and, and we were shoot, I was shooting good again and everything like that. Um, the next morning we get up at four thirty. So those days in September, are just so long. Seems like you get up at four o'clock and you're not in bed, you know, after dinner by, by 11 or 12. And, um, so we get up the next day and we're both just kind of dragging, um, start hiking in and a bull bugles off to our left. And, uh, the wind's decent for calling to him and trying to see what's going on with him. And, uh, so we break off and force starts calling behind me and, and, you know, I get up and set up and stuff like that. And, I ranged three or four different spots and um, put my rangefinder down and you know, just kind of sitting there waiting, trying to figure out what we need to do. And um, about 10 minutes later, I'm sitting there second guessing every range I just took and, you know, stuff that we do and uh, get my rangefinder out and start ranging again. And lo and behold, the battery in my rangefinder is dead now. So oh, it just feels like I'm telling you, it feels like everything that can go wrong will go wrong right when it doesn't need to. Um, you know, I, I, and that's one thing that I realized before the trip that I hadn't done was replace the battery in my rangefinder. So add that to the list of stuff to get ready for next year. But, no, um, I'm kidding. you know, it, 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 everything that can go wrong will go wrong at the wrong time. I've found out. But, um, so we, we end up calling to that bull for a while. Um, he kind of just, stayed where he was one coming to us we weren't going to go to him we had an idea we were trying to get back down into that hole to beat those elk there when they were coming out of that cornfield and um so we hike it's about two miles from where we where we park and everything like that kind of hike into it so you don't blow anything out with the vehicle and uh, we get down in there and it's just elk heaven like there's there's a wallow or there's a spring coming out of the side of the hill that's just awesome. It's filling up a pretty good little bit of water there. So you can tell that the elk had been using it and then stretched out along that little bottom in there. There's four just freshly used tore up wallows just all over it. All this is within, you know, 60 yards of each other. So we're like, yeah, we're just going to hang right here. The force has a tag as well. We're both hunting. So he kind of bails uphill. I, I'm telling him that we're just going to, I'm going to sit there, um, you know, for the rest of the day, if that's what it takes. But I have a lot of, a lot of confidence in that spot because it's the most elk sign we've seen. There's wallows that are clearly being used. There's a spring where they can get water. It's just a great spot to set up. If, if they're not going to call back and forth to you, you know, setting up on water is a really good option. So that's what I decided to do. Um, I sat there for, two hours um you know it's probably i don't know eight o'clock by the time or eight thirty. um by the time i knew it and um we hear a bugle i don't know it's it's in the distance you know but it's something so i'm sitting there just minding my own business watching the birds play the squirrels play stuff like that and uh, i hear another bugle but it's a little bit closer so i'm like man all right we got something working and um you know, go 20 minutes goes on and another bugle that's, you know, 
three, 400 yards away, but it's, it's closer. So I'm, I'm set sitting there set up with my, you know, my bow ready. I've got everything I borrowed. I'm a terrible friend. I, I borrowed forest rangefinder. And then the next thing I know he's run off up the hill and I'm, I didn't give it back oh, to him. Yeah. So I'm sitting there with his rangefinder, just ranging everything. And I'm rearranging everything because I'm, you know, just want to make sure it hadn't changed, which is impossible, but that's how my <laughs> mind works. Yep. And, um, so I'm sitting there at the wallow and, and then I hear a bugle and it's close and it's big and it's growly and I'm going, geez, that thing is right there. You know, there's a, there's a bend in the bottom back to my left and the wind's perfect. I don't have to worry about the wind very much. It's blowing pretty good straight in my face. And, and that, that Creek bottom has a bend that I can't see around, but I've, that elk's got to be just 70 or 80 yards around the bend, which will put them probably 200 yards from me. But the good thing is they're coming my way and um, I'm sitting there and I start shaking just, you know, I just start shaking uncontrollably. And I'm like, man, you got to get it together. This is, you can't even see an elk yet. And you're shaking like this. You just got to get it together, which of course I didn't, you know, and I, I, there's, I heard Renella on a, on a uh, episode of meat eater say one thing is like, get it together. There's plenty of time to be excited later. And if that works for him, great. But it dang sure wasn't working for me. <laughs> I was I was telling myself that left and right, and I uh, I, I just couldn't get it together. I was shaking so bad. You, my arrow was bouncing up off the rest and everything. Just I was like, they're gonna hear that for sure. But um, you know, four or five minutes goes by from that bugle, and uh, I see movement through some trees, and a couple of cows come out, and they're just standing uphill that of that spring. And, um, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. There's a couple of cows there. And, and there were a couple of cows in that big rut fest the other night. This must be them. Next thing you know, it, I'm looking up at 15 cows standing on this, on this hill. And they're probably 70 yards from me. And they single file, just walk down to that spring. I'm set up 25 yards from it, you know, and, and I'm sitting there under a little bush doing my best just to close my eyes and blend in not let them see me or hear me shaking or my teeth chattering or anything like that. And they spend 10, 10 minutes probably down in that wallow, just jumping around and splashing and having a great time. And, um, they never even look at me. They never know I'm there. And I'm, I've never, you know, I've been close to elk a few times, but not a whole herd of cows sitting in there mewing and splashing and jumping and playing. And I'm shook up. I'm not going to lie to anybody. I'm shook up big time. And I hadn't even seen the bull yet. But um, he comes around the corner of that bottom there, that little creek, I guess. And all I see is daggers and fronts and just his daggers kind of curve in. So it's really, really cool. But I see that first and then I see big fronts and I'm like, I don't care. He's, if he comes and gives me a shot, I'm going to kill him or I'm going to shoot him. You know, I'm, I'm hoping I can keep it together long enough to make a good shot. But, um, he starts walking in and as when he's at 50 or 60, he bugles and just shakes the trees. It's unbelievable how loud and just how like that sound goes through you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, you've heard it. It's just like that when they scream in your face, it's like, you're not even there to stop the sound. But um, he keeps coming, and um, 
I've got one little patch of trees between me and that creek bottom where I can draw. If he walks, you know, b- below it, I'll have a shot at 20 yards. When he's walking to that spring, I'll be able to stop him and get a shot. But I've got 15 cows within 30 yards of me. The closest one, I think, is like nine yards at the time. So drawing is going to be an issue. But, you know, if when he's coming in like that, you've only got one chance. You got to make, make your play and, and hope it works out for the best. So when he gets to, I don't know, 25 yards, he crosses that those trees and I draw my bow and it looked like an explosion of elk. Those cows were onto me the second I twitched, mm-hmm. just blowing out left and right and everywhere. And the bull's never seen me. He doesn't know what's going on. So I'm at full draw at this point and he runs up, takes four jumps up the hill and stops to give me a shot. You know, I guess 45 to 47 yards and put settle my pin on him you know let it rip i see the arrow hit him and to me i think it's a great shot you know i think it's i think it's perfect i you know i'm thrilled with it but that's in the heat of the moment you know everything looks like it's everybody thinks they make a great shot you know in the heat of the moment when when you got an elk at 30 yards or something Mm -hmm. like that you know doubt started to set in i don't know you know about five minutes after if i really saw what i saw I thought I did. And, um, so after the shot, I grabbed my binoculars, drop my bow and like a moron, drop my bow and, uh, run up the hill a little bit to glass the elk as they're running off. And I see, you know, I see the cows run off. I see a spike run off. I never see that bull. Um, you know, he ran down through the bottom and up into a flat and I uh, couldn't see the flat at the time. So I was like, dang, man, I, I hope that I really saw what I saw and, and that, you know, he's, that was a good shot. And we'll, you know, find him. And Forrest comes running up because he heard elk blow out and he heard him bugle it, you know, 50 yards. And he comes running down the hill, doesn't know what's happening. And he sees me glassing this herd of elk that's running off. And he's kind of gives me the, you know, shoulder shrug of what happened. And I just throw my arms up in the air, like, you know, just like I just won the Olympics or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm just as thrilled as I can be. We just start jumping around in circles just, you know, before we even know anything, just jumping around and just can't believe that we got a shot off and that, you know, there's a herd of elk there at 15 yards for 20 minutes at this point. And uh, he's like, he, you know, I, we go down and I replay what happened. And I had a little hole at 40 to shoot through. And he's like, you shot through that hole? I'm like, yeah, it's the only shot I had. And um, I told him that the bull was broadside when I shot, but he was quartering to just a little bit more than I thought he was. So I, when I tucked it to his shoulder, it was the best thing that I could have done. Um, just because he was, you know, kind of quartering to me. And at the time I didn't realize it as much. Um, so we sit there for 10 minutes or so, just pumped as we can be. And we end up going down and looking at where he was standing and trying to find some blood, stuff like that. Just real close, not wanting to push anything. And the arrow is sticking uh, into the side hill, uh, probably about 12 inches and it's just dripping covered in bright red blood with bubbles in it. And I'm, you know, that, that to me is a great sign. Mm-hmm. Great to see. Um, still can't find any blood, but we have the arrow that's covered in blood. You know, we're just like, man, that's a great sign. That's great blood. Um, and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I just grab my binoculars and I go up the hill a little bit to that, where I can see that flat, where that Creek bottom comes up into and I'd take five steps and I see that bull laying there in that flat. He oh, didn't perfect. go. 
120 yards and I'm just, you know, uh, I'm not a runner. I'm from South Texas up there at elevation, stuff like that. You know, running is out of the question for me, but we just both take off running straight to that elk. My bow's in the trees somewhere. My pack is somewhere else. I don't know what's going on at this point. We run, I don't know, 120 yards over to him. And as we get closer, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just going, there's no way that I killed this thing. You know? I mean, oh yeah, I was in that's, shock. that's a good problem to have when you're, when he keeps getting bigger, when you get up to him. Yeah, no. I mean, and, and you know, those, I mean, I don't know what's a Montana bull weigh 750, 800 pounds, maybe. That's, yeah, that's what I and would this say. Thing, this thing was huge. I mean, I, I, we, the first thing we noticed were those, 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 uh, forks that kind of curved in and you know, this, they're huge, you know, 20, I think one was 24 inches and the other one was like 23 and a quarter, something like that. Man. Mm-hmm. Just huge sports. And then the fronts just, you know, the mass on those, on those central Montana bulls is, is what really blows my mind. You know, I've killed a bunch, I've killed, I don't know, four bulls in Southwest Montana or three bulls in Southwest Montana. And, um, they just don't have the same mass that those central Montana bulls have. It's interesting how they it was, change it was, from like yeah. area to area, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm not a score guy. I don't care. You know, the thrill of it is what, what does it for me. And, uh, I don't care what he scores. A lot of people have asked me and I do know what he scores. Now we, we, you know, measured him just to be able to tell people what he is. And, you know, I couldn't care less if that bull scored 400 inches or if he was a 250 inch raghorn having him scream at me at 50 yards with cows covering me up and being able to shoot him over a wallow. That was really, really something special for me. That's yeah, that's super cool. And I think that's something that should really be noted, especially for guys that are coming out. You know, it's not, it's not all, it's more of the experience that you have and not so much about just how big it's going to be. And Um, you know, that's just kind of just the way it is. We, uh, in September, Leah stalked, uh, we watched some bucks and they weren't, there was, it was like a three point, you know, it was a younger deer three point, but he bedded in the most epic spot ever. And she's like, I'm going to go try it. And she ended up full draw at 14 yards. And he just, she couldn't see his body. All she could see was his head and he was looking right at her and they blew out, but as that whole thing was happening, I'm over on a rock filming it and watching it. And I'm just like, I had even just watching it. I'm like, I don't care how big this thing is. Like if, if, if it works out, this is going to be the most epic thing ever because of how just the stock and they were kind of under some cliffs and you know, how close she got to him is super, super cool. And I think people should put a little bit more, uh, I don't know, a little bit more love into that, you know? Um, well, just like you're doing. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people are hunting, hunting, you know, a number and I, I don't care about numbers. I don't, can't eat a number, you know, stuff like that, but I'm hunting an experience. Every time I go up there, as soon as I step out of the truck, I'm having a great time. You know, I, I, I don't care if, of course I'm hunting hard. I want to kill something. That's the goal, but I'm just fine going up there and spending every single minute that I can chasing elk around the hills and 
gaining experience that I'm going to use the rest of my life elk hunting. You know, every hunt teaches you something. It, it, you know, not every story's got a happy ending. Um, you know, three years ago, I missed the biggest elk I've ever seen. Um, you know, he's 60 yards and we ranged the bush in front of him and got 42 and I shot under him and he ran up on the hill and skylined himself and turned around and bugled at us and walked out of my life. I'm Dang. good with that. I don't yeah. want it to happen, but I'm good with it. You know, I got to see him. I got to be 60 yards from him. I was in a position to win the cat and mouse game at that point, And I didn't win it. You don't win every time. Not every story's got a happy ending, but I'll remember that forever. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's that's super awesome, man. Um, so let's talk about a little. What was your your archery setup? So, like I said, I'm shooting the um, Hoyt RX1 Ultra. Um, I'm a taller guy, six four, I guess six four, and uh, so I'm shooting. I uh, got a 31 and three quarter inch draw shooting 88 pounds, um, shooting 200 spine Spartans that are cut to, I guess they're cut to 32. They, they end up weighing about 555 grains, 560 grains, but I'm still pushing them about 296. Um, so I've got plenty working for me on that end. Um, I'm shooting a kudu broadhead, 100 grain kudu head right now. I really like the single bevel head shooting elk and, and bigger game like that. Um, I'll switch to a mechanical during whitetail season or, or if I'm hunting mule deer or something like that. But for elk, I shoot kudus. Um, I've had really great luck with them. Um, it's funny, my, my bow shop here in the last you know three or four years, I keep joking with them that I want to go in there and buy a new bow. And they're like, man, if you're killing stuff with the bow you've got, don't switch it until you have a reason to. And I'm kind of torn right now because it did, it did blow up on me, yeah. but I did kill a giant bull with it. So I don't really know where to go with that. You know, I think I'm going to give it the rest of the season and, and see how, how I feel about it. Hopefully I don't have any more issues with it because I really do enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've shot Matthews and I've shot elites and, and I really like this Hoyt. Nice. And at least, you know, what happened and it was something that, you know, right. you just, you know, and everybody that shoots that something bow should take watch. note of that. Yeah. Something to watch. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's something to watch out for, for sure. Um, I didn't even know it was a thing to be honest with you. I didn't know you could, I didn't know that could happen. Um, and I, I shoot a lot, you know, I shoot a, a lot. So, um, I probably should have checked that and I, you know, driving those washboard roads and on public land and, you know, stuff like that, getting beat up. We, we, we were, so we, we did hunt open and morning on, on public, but we, um, all the elk that we found were on, on private. And, uh, so we bounced places, but driving around on public land stuff like that and old County roads, stuff gets loose. You know, those I've had, I've had, uh, my stabilizer fall off. I've had, all kinds of stuff as soon as you open the door to the truck and grab your bow. Um, that's just another thing to add to the checklist to check now. So, um, heck, yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'm glad, glad we could get it fixed and get back in the game because I called, I called my fiance and I was like, Hey, my bow just blew up. Um, I'm about to go buy another one because <laughs> I've got four, I've got uh, four or five days left, you know, and I've got the whole rest of the season. I can't, can't be bowless without a you know with three more tags in my pocket 
Yeah, yeah, you gotta, exactly. Got to have something to hunt with. What are you supposed to? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't blame <laughs> um, you at all. Is there any other gear stuff on that hunt that was noteworthy for you? Uh, yeah. So glass and elk before season. Um, you know, I had I've had this when I was younger. You know, the Vortex Diamondback spotter and stuff like that started out with that, and um, it's a you know I, good gear. I'm a believer in, in good glass because you can't kill what you can't find. Um, two years ago, I found a good deal on rock slide for a Swaro 95 and I can't say enough good things since switching to that. I've found more animals than I've ever found in my life with good glass and, um, taking the time to glass things thoroughly and, um, you know, good glass did it for me. Um, and a good backpack to get that elk out. You know, I didn't know what a bad backpack was until you load a quarter into it when I was younger. Um, I've had the same, uh, I guess it's the, uh, Kafaru EMR two backpack since I was, I don't know, 25, I'm 30, 30 now. And, um, you know, that thing's as solid as they come for me. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, another thing, you know, when I joined uh, go hunt back in the day, um, I won a pair of Kinetrek Mountain Extreme boots about three months into being a member. So I, nice. I don't win things. So that sticks out in my mind, a good pair of boots that are well broken in and that you have confidence in. Because uh, um, you're going to put the miles on to find them. That's for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And those, yeah, are, those are the usually what we talk about being, you know, the big, the big three, your boots and the glass that you're carrying, especially if you're glassing a lot, looking for, looking for animals. And then that, yeah, the backpack to get it out. It, the backpack makes a, makes such a huge, a huge difference, especially with those, with that much weight. Like, just like you said, you don't realize how good it helps until you've used something that's not quite as great and just doesn't distribute the load like it should. Um, an 80 pound quarter feels, feels a lot better on a pack that distributes the weight. Yeah, it really does. And I, I went into, uh, on my way back through, uh, I went into Kafaru, um, a couple, I guess on my way back through three years ago, I went into Kafaru there in Colorado and, and got those guys to ask them to help me fit my pack and make sure that everything was, was right on it and stuff like that. And I, I, I like their gear a lot. I like those guys a lot. It helps when things fit you like they're supposed to. Oh Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So I think kind of to wrap it up, you're coming from out of state and, you know, going on these hunts and making it happen. What advice would you give to people that want to do the same thing? Everybody says buy tags, not gear. And that's, that's legit. But buying gear that will make you comfortable enough to stay in the woods to gain the experience that you need is pretty important too. Um, not saying everybody has to have, uh, you know, the high end glass or the high end bag or the high end tent, anything like that. Um, but going and buying stuff from Walmart and getting out there and, and, you know, blizzard or a rainstorm, stuff like that. It's not helping anybody. Um, my, my experience has been that if you're comfortable, you'll stay. And the longer you're out there, the more interactions with animals and, and, you know, being outside and the more experience you're going to gain. 
um, which is important. You know, if, if you have the tag of your lifetime and you have all the gear that you need, but you don't have any experience hunting or any experience being outside, um, you're, you're not going to hunt that tag to the fullest. So it's kind of a mixture. My, my suggestion would be kind of a mixture between have enough gear or have enough good gear to be comfortable and safe and stay long enough on hunts that you might want to bail on to gain some experience. Cause when you do draw that tag that you really want to put everything into, it's really, really good to have the skill set to be able to hunt it properly and, and do it justice. Perfect. I think that is like, that's, that's, that's yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Um, any other hunts coming up this year? Yeah. So I, um, I drew the, the big game combo in Montana this year. So I, I think I might, um, make a trip back up there for mule deer in November. Um, not sure what those days are looking like yet. Um, and then I drew for the second year in a row, a, uh, well, people are probably gonna be mad at me for putting <laughs> this one out there, but I drew a, uh, late season archery, uh, mule deer hunt in New Mexico. Um, I went last year and spent 14 days out there and saw some just incredible country, some giant deer. Um, so I put back in for it and drew a tag that I have some friends that live out there in the, in the unit that I drew, they hunt it quite often. So it's going to be a little bit easier on me than last year was last year was, you know, four degree nights snowing, um, stuff like that. This one's going to be a little bit easier on me, but yeah, I drew, I drew a late season, uh, archery mule deer hunt that I'm pretty excited about. Nice. Nice. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. Well, thanks a ton for, for hopping on and telling everybody the story. And man, it was, it was an eventful one. Yeah, no, it was eventful. That's for sure. Um, you know, that usually I end up with uh, one or two flat tires on hunts and this year, no flats, but my bow blew up and my rangefinder went dead. So not sure that trade off is worth it. Yeah. Overcoming adversities, you know? Uh -huh. oh, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's going to be something that tells you you can't get it done on every single hunt and, um, being able to, uh, being able to stay in the game long enough to prove that wrong is uh, a really good lesson to learn early and uh, just be okay with things going wrong. And like I said, I was really, really heartbroken when my bow blew up, but I had a plan to get back in the game one way or the other. And, and luckily those guys were able to get me back in the game. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, I can't believe it still, you know, I, I walk in, walk into the hunt room here in the house and look at that bull. And I just, I can't believe that, he came home with me took the long truck ride back to texas with me that's awesome well hopefully uh you entered that in on the the uh, elk photo contest so we'll see how that does i think that's where i found it wasn't it i think yeah i think so i think yep. either there on the meat pole there on on the uh, rock slide but yeah for for anybody interested he he's uh right at right about 360 broken he's got a broken two and um you know, if it matched the other side, it would add another eight to 11, you know, if it matched the other side, it would add 11 inches, but you know, I say anywhere from eight to 11. So high three sixties bull, um, he's a bull I've been chasing for 10 years now. I'm, I can't believe it. 
All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any requests for podcasts in the future, shoot me an email, jordanrockslide.com, or shoot us an Instagram message on the IG at Rockcast Podcast. Breaking news coming out of the Rockcast studio. We have brought on a new sponsor, Black Rifle Coffee, is now our, a sponsor of the Rockcast Podcast, which I am super, super pumped about. I have been drinking Black Rifle Coffee for a long time. I think I've literally, I think this is like my fourth year on their service or their program basically where you set what kind of coffee you want and how many times a, like if you want it once a week or once a month or whatever, it sets it up on an auto ship and sends it over. So been running that for a long time. That's also the only coffee that I'm using down at the uh, in the hunting lodge in Nebraska is Black Rifle. It's just really good. I had um, I'd been drinking that, and then I had gas station coffee the other day, and was not too impressed. So they make uh, to-go packs for coffee, um, instants. A lot of people are using like the Starbucks inst- uh, via instant coffees in the backcountry now. Black Rifle makes the same thing but from a company like Black Rifle. So we will have a discount code in the future for our listeners, but just wanted to let everybody know and thank Black Rifle Coffee for coming on. It's a great company, the great cause. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys on the next one.